Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. This week, we've got some talk about the draft and the minor leagues with two guests. Uh, Todd Johnson, who writes the minor league stuff for Cubs Insider and has his own blog at Cubs Central. And Michael Ernst, who is the main minor league writer for Cubs Den. He writes the minor league recaps on there that are very good that you should read. And uh, we're discussing everything draft and minor leagues related on this episode. And a couple notes. Um, my interview with Todd was a little choppy, a little bit of a connection issue, but most of it was pretty good. So if you hear any skipping or anything, it's just a minor connection thing. And um, Michael, his dog was kind of whimpering because there was a storm coming. So he was kind of, you hear whimpering sounds, that's uh, Michael's dog. And other than that, I guess we'll get to our interviews. First up is Todd Johnson. We just had the draft. Uh, First round pick, shortstop from Stanford. Nico Horner, I believe. Yep. If I'm saying his name right. And then a lot of other picks. So um, what are your thoughts on the draft? Well, um, I think they're going to be able to sign a lot of them. Uh, they took a lot of guys that have high upside, and um, they're not quite at their peak yet, but they have a lot of potential. Um, one thing they have a need for is a rush to get them to the majors right away. Um, considering that most of the players the Cubs have right now are all signed through 2021 there's no real rush to get anybody up um the earliest contract to come off the books uh is zobrist after next year but i don't see hayward taking his option and and trying the open market after this year unless he just has an amazing second half but i don't see that happening either so he'll be good but he's better now than he has been um, I, I just think there's a lot of kids that uh, they're going to sign and they're going to have time to develop and grow. Yeah. Were there any, I'll say, mid-round picks that like, you're really intrigued by, that you really want to see make yeah. it with the Cubs? Well, I, w- I want to see them develop and see what if they can, um, what's the word I'm looking for, if they can fulfill their promise. Um, the second, the first compensation pick in the second round, Cole Redderer, um, is a UCLA commit, and he really started swinging for some pop this year. Um, and then he got after a game one time, he and his teammates were goofing around, and he injured his shoulder, and uh, he missed like the last month, month and a half of the season. So I'm interested to see how he does. Uh, Ethan Roberts, who pitches for Tennessee Tech. Uh, was their closer for a couple of years, and then he started against Mississippi State last Friday and went seven and two-thirds innings. And he has a really nasty breaking ball. Um, another guy that I kind of like a lot is a 10th-round pick, 
uh, Luke Reynolds from Southern Mississippi, and his on-base percentage was 551 this year. And uh, I, I don't even see him starting at Mesa or Eugene. He's basically a fifth-year senior because the NCAA made him sit out for two years. Really weird case. Um, later on, I like. Um, interested to see Ezekiel Pagan and see if there's any uh, connection to Angel. And then later on, the one pick I really like. Uh, people made fun of his name, but Lane Looney from Richmond uh, has up some really good numbers at a a small Division One school. But He's also put up good numbers in summer ball as well. And then I don't know if they'll be able to sign him. Is uh, from He's from Albuquerque, and that's uh, Mitchell Parker, who is a, a left-handed pitcher. And then there was another left-handed pitcher I like too, Chris Allen from Marin Community College. So there's a, a lot of potential. And uh, I was talking with uh, Wes Saver and the he has something called Saber Metrics, and he reports on all the signings and stuff from the Cubs. And uh, he and I were talking, and together we thought the Cubs were going to have over close to 30 or a little over of the draft picks get signed, which is that's a huge amount of new kids coming into the system. Yeah, and, you know, that was a thing. I read an article, and I saw that they were talking a lot about um, – the Cape Cod League. Mm-hmm. And the Cubs really like the Cape Cod League, and it's something they get a lot of their picks from. So I thought I'd ask you a little bit about that. Well, it's it's a wooden bat league, and uh, it used to be just for um, kids in the Northeast to play wooden ball in the summer. Um, and now it's expanded, but in order to play, you have to be invited. You can't just decide that you want to go and to be invited to play. Um, there's wooden bat leagues all over the country. Um, for example, in this area of the country, there's the North, the North Woods League. And um, like Chad Hawken, who the Cubs drafted a couple years ago, he played in that. And there's a couple other players the Cubs had this year that played in the North Woods League. So um, what it is is a lot of elite talent um, gets invited to play, and usually it's between your soft, freshman and sophomore year and your sophomore and junior year. And um, it's you're playing against elite talent in a league with wooden bats. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's kind of like a, I want to say um, like Arizona Fall League. Where it's elite yeah. talent against elite talent. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, you can see how well they can square up a ball with a wooden bat, and how they can uh, get hitters out with wooden bats. So it's it's a good predictor that um, there's a lot of causality and correlation there between kids that do well in the Cape League tend to do well in the minor leagues which means you tend to do well in the majors. All right. Now, we'll kind of take a little sidestep from the Cubs and just, is there anyone that you, in the draft, who did you really like in the draft that might have gone earlier than the Cubs? Uh, 
Oh, when the Cubs were picking? <laughs> no, 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 earlier. Like, through the, who was, like, oh. the first top 10 picks or whatever? Well, I, I liked uh, Alec Bohm uh, from Wichita State. He was a third baseman. And I think he went to the Phillies, I think. I can go check. Um, but I liked him, his teammate, Grayson Janista. And I liked... Um, the home went there to the Phillies, and I like Grayson Janista was okay. Uh, Trevor Larnick from Oregon State was the guy I liked after Bones. I, I really only envisioned two guys going to the Cubs. I didn't think uh, anybody was going to go, but Larnick was picked uh, four picks ahead. So whoever got him got a good player as well. So moving on from the draft to uh, – where these guys are going to go eventually, which is the Cubs minor leagues, the ones mm-hmm. assigned. So how do you feel about the Cubs minors through two months? Um, well, I think it's got off to a really rough start. <laughs> I mean, uh, Merck Beach was three and 12 at one point and they just went above 500 yesterday and they're, they've won, I think nine out of their last 10 games. Um, and they're doing it through dominant pitching. They have Alex Lang, Keegan Thompson. They did have Matt Swarmer. Um, South Bend had some amazing pitching as well with Raleigh Lacey just threw a no-hitter the other night. Um, they have Eric Yulman who has an amazing breaking ball from a probably a, a sidearm kind of thing. It looks like he's coming over the top and then kind of drops down but doesn't drop down with his body. Um, he has a really good breaking ball, uh, as does Lacey. Uh, the one kid I like is Jesus Camargo. Um, he missed all of 2016 after being kind of an ace, the Mesa team a couple of years ago. Um, came back in a limited capacity last year. He has an amazing changeup. Like the best two changeups I've seen in the past couple of years are uh, Albertos. And Camargo's Camargo, and um, Camargo, I think his ERA just went under two this past week, and he's been starting full time, working his way up, um, increasing his workload each time. But uh, the pitching has been quite dominant uh, at the Double A AA and Triple A level. It's been a little bit more inconsistent, except for Trevor Clifton, who has been outstanding for the past month. He had a, I think it was like a 2.46 ERA for the month of April. So he's he's now at AAA, and he'll make his uh, Pacific Coast League debut tomorrow night for the I Cubs. Yeah, you know that's what I was gonna I was gonna bring up too, because obviously the last time you were on my show, you were talking about Jose Albertos and really feeling good about him, and then it's I don't know if it's the yips or what, but he's kind of lost his control yeah. completely and almost got does he was he sent to Mesa or yeah he was sent to extend his spring training um he's technically he's on the Eugene roster um he's made uh, a couple of starts down there for a couple of appearances uh he sent one of my friends a text today that he's feeling much better um I think the actual velocity of his pitches was fine. 
they did something with his delivery, tweaked it a little bit, and it's altered his release point. And uh, he just could not find it at South Bend. Just couldn't find it. And so they let him try and figure it out. And it just, eventually they just started to get to be a mental thing. So they kind of time off and went back. And um, he just needs to mature um, mentally and physically at the same time. It looked like he's um, kind of tightened up physically. As far as like, uh, he's lost a little weight, add a little muscle. So sometimes that affects uh, a release point as well. But um, yeah, he's just 19. I mean, he's not going to be in AAA or wasn't expected to be this year. So, um, you know, let's take our time and, and develop him right and help him learn how to uh, overcome these things because he's going to have times where he's not going to have his best stuff. Yeah, and as uh, Theo Epstein famously said, progress isn't linear with these minor league prospects. There's going to be fits and starts. Yeah. yeah. Clifton is the perfect example of that. Um, he started in, at Boise in, in 2014. I think he made his first start there. Um, struggled with the beginning there. Came to South Bend. Had a good first month. Struggled the second month. Uh, his June was a disaster, had a bench-clearing brawl that he kind of initiated by throwing at a guy, protecting his catcher. Um, and I think that might have been the best thing for him to step away and take his suspension. Because uh, when he came back, he got some things figured out that last six weeks of 2015. Or 16. Yeah, 2015. And then he just tore up at Myrtle Beach in 2017. And through the all-star break of last year, he was 2.84 in the first half, was an all-star in the Southern League. And then it just it just fell apart for him last year. Uh, it was kind of sad to, to go watch him, and he struggled to get through two, three innings to start. Um, got shut down in the middle of August. Um, Came back this spring in good shape, added some more muscle. Mentally, he was there, and he's just, he's been really good this year. So, got promoted to Iowa, and can't wait to watch him pitch tomorrow. You know, speaking of guys that have kind of had a circuitous route and have made it to Iowa, uh, Dwayne Underwood is having a very good season at AAA, and some people are even kind of pushing for him to get a start at the big league level. So, yeah, um, it's funny you should ask that because I, I have a post coming out tomorrow on Trevor Clifton, and I was just with the finishing touches on one for Dwayne Underwood for early next week. And um, Underwood's stats this year, I mean, it's it's like shut out or he gets lit up. <laughs> and now he's got a 3.70 ERA on the year. And I think for a string of six or seven starts, he either gave up zero runs or four runs in seven straight starts. They weren't like zero, four, zero, four. He went zero, four, zero, zero, four, zero, four. Um, it was just like, what is going on here? But he has some of the best stuff, if not the best overall stuff in the Cubs system. Go in the mid-90s. Um, has a beautiful curveball, beautiful changeup. 
Um, the issue is sometimes he leaves the ball up and likes to not go for the strikeout, likes to pitch to contact, and he leaves that ball up and he can get hit. So he's, he's just got to be more consistent. Yeah, and I guess that is probably maybe, what do I want to say, the perils of the Pacific Coast League. It's very much an offensive league, and it can mess with your numbers as a pitcher. Yeah, I didn't check to see if those starts were home or away. I guess that's one thing I can do because, I mean, if you go to Colorado and Albuquerque and Salt Lake, those are a little bit higher elevations. And so, I mean, that can mess with uh, the amount of ball breaks or the amount of ball rises in, in those environments. And um, I guess that'll bring me to the other triple-A pitcher who got off to a great start with his promotion and then, of course, had an unfortunate injury, but um, Adbert Alzoy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I, he's kind of like Dwayne too. He had he would either have a great start where he would he had three games where he took no hitters um, past either either the fourth inning or beyond, and then he just would give up runs. Um, Chris Jimenez, the the guy the Cubs signed that played for Minnesota last year, and he's now the backup catcher. He talked about Alzelay having the same issues as Underwood, and that's just elevating the ball that when he can't keep it down that he gets into trouble and um, he's out with a grade one lat strain for a while and uh, apparently he's down in Mesa doing his rehab rather than in Iowa which is probably better for him to with a, with a with kind of muscle strain or soft tissue strain um, that the heat will be much better for him to get that off loose and figured out and tightened up or whatever needs to happen for him to get back. But um, he was just amazing last year. Set 95, 96 in the sixth and seventh innings. And he could do that earlier at South Bend, um, but he really didn't have the secondaries to go with because at South Bend he had a four-plus ERA for the year. And I was not expecting him to do that well, even though he did well when he was a piggyback star in Eugene a couple of years ago. That doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been you've kind of been talking about pitching a lot yeah. more than the hitting, but that might be a fact that all the Cubs big hitting prospects are in the majors now. But are there any hitters that have stood out so far this year? Well, there's uh, some prize ones I guess you could say um, but as far as like elite hitting I think probably the most two impressive guys are the catchers um, Johnny Pareda is 21 um, played at South Bend last year Skip Eugene um, and he's hit close to or around 300 all year uh, he was just named the Cubs April hitter of the month and uh doesn't have a lot of power, but is one of the leaders in the system in, in, in RBIs. And uh, he's turned into be a really good defensive catcher. Uh, at South Bend, the other guy who's a catcher, too, is uh, Miguel Amaya. And he's just, he's just has a beautiful swing. 
a great arm. Um, his pitch recognition skills have improved greatly from last year. Uh, heading into today, he's hitting 291 with five home runs. Another guy I like in South Bend is Jared Young, who just uh, has such an amazing approach at the plate. He struggled for a little bit this year after getting injured. It took him a couple of weeks to get back in the swing, but he has seven home runs and a little over 40 games, I think. So he is really impressive to watch hit. He just destroyed a baseball last night, probably. The, the best hit baseball by a Cubs prospect this year. Um, P.J. Higgins seems to have discovered his stroke again after a down year last year at Myrtle Beach. And um, Jason Bossler is starting to round into form, I think. Um, he was terrible in uh, April. He only had 171, and then in um, May... He got up to 280, and right now he's hitting 333 at AA this month. Well, just eight, eight days. But still, he's, he's the leader in RBIs and home runs in the whole system. Because if he can hit for average, he could play in Chicago. He might be more valuable than Bodie as far as that uh, because he is left-handed. Yeah. How has Bodie been doing down there? Um, it's it's hit and miss. When he came back from Chicago, he just destroyed the baseball for about a week. Um, but on the year, he is uh, he's doing okay. He's hitting. Where is he? Uh, he's hitting uh, two seventy five for the year. Um, this month he's down a little bit, struggling a little bit. He hit three eleven in May, and over six games so far, he's hitting two eleven this month. But, driving the ball you know once you've been in Chicago it's kind of that's all you think about is getting back and Mark Zagunas also was in Chicago this month since he came back he's just it's not been a good run for him yeah so kind of going back to Iowa uh, Des Moines is not as fun once you've been in the big city Victor Caratini is Doing well. I mean, he's hitting 310 in Iowa in his in the two and a half weeks that he's been back. Not been much of a challenge for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's see some of these guys. There's there's really nothing left for them to prove in Des Moines, and I feel bad for them because there's really no spot that's going to open up for them. And so you kind of hope that if there's a trade, that they get a chance to be in that trade. So they can get to the major leagues. It's nice to have Zagunas for insurance, but they're also not doing any favors to the player um, by keeping him down there like a piece of chattel. Yeah. And that's kind of the, that's the age long debate. Um, You know, you've got these guys that you want, you want the depth, you want the, in case somebody gets hurt, but, yeah, they're kind of stagnating when they're stuck in AAA. Yeah, I, I, it's not a problem with the pitching right now <laughs> um, because those guys are wearing out a path from the bullpen in Des Moines to the bullpen in Chicago. Um, but it's the first half for the minor league ends next Sunday, uh, 17th, I think it is. And uh, they'll get a couple of days off, but it'll be interesting to see how how 
the starters do in the second half there in Triple A. I was saying Underwood, Clifton, um, Luke Farrell, and Alzale. I mean, it's it's a pretty solid starting five. And Ken Hoyer often talked about. Um, we want to create where we have waves of pitching coming up, and I think they're there. I mean, you have Hatch at Double A. Uh, Lang is not far away from going to Double A. In fact, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised to see Alex Lang get promoted um, by the end of the month. Right now, he's on a 19-inning scoreless streak at, at Myrtle Beach. So, his changeup that he's been working on all year is getting to be a plus pitch. So. Yeah, it's good stuff happening as far as um, minor league pitching is go. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'll get you out on this one. There's going to be double headers, other opportunities. So, what one of the young Cubs pitchers in AAA you think will get a chance to start for the Cubs this season? <sighs> No, I think they're going to give Farrell another chance. Um, I think they might, depending on where they're at in the standings, uh, will have an impact on who that is. Um, and they can kind of keep him on a short leash for a little bit. But I'd, I'd love to see Underwood get a shot. Um, it would be awesome if Trevor Clifton did, because I followed his career so closely. Um, Hatch is not far behind in heading to AAA either. So, I mean, if, if thinking about that is different. But really, you know, I'd like to see Dylan Maple back. The one I really want to see in Chicago is uh, reliever Dakota Mechis, who the Cubs drafted in 2016. He has this really deceptive delivery because he's huge at six foot seven and 260 pounds. Um, he can really stride out, and he may only throw, you know, 91 to 94, but because he's so huge and his delivery is deceptive, it makes the ball appear to be um, 97, 98 miles an hour. And he gets some really ugly swings, but I think he would be the one that I want to see in Chicago just to see how his stuff plays. He threw his first inning in Iowa this week, and naturally he didn't allow a run and struck out too, which is pretty much what he does every inning. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I was trying to think of many more minor league-related questions. I think I've asked them all, so... Um, uh, maybe I'll ask a history question. Yeah. Uh, what historical topic are you uh, focused on right now? Well, that's a good question. Um, I have a lot of different things that I'm interested in as far as um, things that I want to know more about looking up because sometimes I have my students look them up and I can learn more about them to see if I want to learn even more. <laughs> so um, my students take part in the National History Day program and 
I have a list of topics. I just got to find it. This. Um, I'm really interested in learning about a, a lady by the name of Marion Mahoney Griffin. Um, and she was an architect, and she really broke in um, as one of the first female architects in the United States. I think she was the second. And she got a job working for Frank Lloyd Wright. And she did a lot of drawings for him uh, because she was such an amazing artist that um, she, she never really got credit for them. Um, but she fell in love with uh, Walter Burley Griffin, who was an architect that worked in the office, in Frank Lloyd Wright's office. And um, she, they got married and they went and together they designed the capital, the new capital city of Australia called Canberra. And uh, they took their prairie style leanings um, to Australia and just did an amazing job of creating a city out of nothing in, in the prairie style. So I've always liked learning more about her and Frank Lloyd Wright. So there's always that. I'm still working my way through the bully pulpit by Doris Turns Goodwin pretty slowly. Are you into anything this summer? John? Yeah. Um, well, I've been, I've been uh, reading a lot about uh, 1968. Yeah. found that pretty interesting. Um, like, especially the Robert Kennedy stuff, but um, I read the new Lawrence O'Donnell book. Oh. About 1968 election. It was pretty good. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to write that down. Um, yeah. Well, I think today, was it today the day he was assassinated or was it yesterday? One it was uh, June 6th. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was this week. I've been a little preoccupied. Um, but yeah, there's that. I like learning about um, some local history around here. Um, there's a lady in Chicago. I may have talked to you about this before. Um, somehow it came up on a, a CSI rerun, and it was way back in the early part of CSI. They had this uh, killer that would make dioramas of the murder scenes. And there was an actual lady from Chicago who actually did that. She made dioramas of murders. Um, to teach detectives on how to analyze a crime scene. And it's, I find, I just found it fascinating. I'm there for a while, I was on Netflix, I watched uh, Mindhunter, uh, the, the, the hunt for the Unabomber, you know, just, I love criminal psychology. I don't know why I didn't go into teaching that, but so. <laughs> I just love how fascinating these things are and how they can they can glean all this information from a crime scene to create a profile of the killer and their personality. I just I just find that fascinating. So that's Robert Ressler's another guy I'm interested in reading about. He's the one who came up with the term serial killer. And that was only about forty five years ago. He was from Chicago too. Um so you were talking about uh, something you're very interested in is uh, 
the scandals involving John Adams. So, mm-hmm. uh, what were your thoughts on that? Well, um, I know some of it about it through the, the David McCullough book. Um, but what I've always found interesting is just how this desire to be proved, desire to be right at all costs, uh, just drives a lot of these scandals. Whether it's um, Nixon and Watergate or Clinton and the Lewinsky scandal, about how they need to, how these presidents need to. Um, feel that they are right at any cost, that they're going to do whatever it takes to prove that they are right and that they are not culpable for what they do. And I think, you know, Adams, it was, it was more of a case of paranoia, but with Nixon, I mean, it was very vindictive. Um, he felt he had to get revenge for what had happened to him in uh, 1960. And the presidential election, um, and that he had to feel vindicated. He had to be the greatest of all time for Clinton. He just felt that he was always attacked, and that he could never be. He he could do whatever he wanted. He could, but there's always consequences for those actions. And the same thing happened with Adams. I mean, great American intellectual powerhouse. Uh, of the time of the revolution, but he was not a good president. So, and my kids always focus in on that too, is um, on any scandal, they talk about how ego, ego drives these so-called leaders to basically try and run over everybody just to get what they want. Yeah, and the sense I always got from John Adams, too, was that, you know, I think it bothered him, but it especially bothered his wife, Abigail, who was usually such a very even-tempered, you know, very smart, leading the way. But they both, this negative press against him just drove him, like, crazy. Like, he couldn't take, he was very thin-skinned about the criticism, and it drove him to be, to these actions that even later he realized were bad moves that he did, like the mm-hmm. Alien and Sedition Act. Yeah. I mean, he and Jefferson, even though they were combatants in, in the political world, uh, were best friends to the day they both died on July 4th in 1826, which is ironic, but that's both when they went out. My favorite story ever. Um, <laughs> Adams on his death yeah, Adams on his deathbed. Jefferson survives. Even no. though Jefferson had died twelve hours earlier <laughs> in Virginia. Yeah, uh, um it's one of the weirdest things, you know, that story has been into my brain, but um my father a couple of years ago um passed away from dementia. Um at 4.30 in the morning. And then his older brother passed away later that evening uh, at like 11.30 at night. And dad had, dad had been out of it. But when, when that happened, I'm like, oh my God, this reminds me of, of uh, Adam and Jefferson. Yeah. 
be weird irony how these things get woven into your lives and, and what you remember at a very tragic point in your time in your life you know your dad and your uncle die on the same day um it just uh, this is Adams and Jefferson yeah oh. <laughs> yeah no I can I, I do that a lot when like something's happened I always have some kind of historical precedent to lean back on you no matter what the circumstances, we're nuts. That's all. Yep. I can <laughs> so, any big? Have you seen the new Avengers movie? I have not. I did go to see Deadpool. Yeah, and I How thought was it was that? pretty good. It was good. Uh, the first one was just hysterical. So, <laughs> uh, the stopped. second one was a lot like the first one. We stopped. My wife and I loved to go to the movies for years. And we stopped here recently. Um, he's having some health issues, but um, we watched Black Panther last week. And that was that was a pretty strong movie. Mm-hmm. It did not seem like a two and a two hour twenty minute movie. It seemed like you know about an hour. <laughs> it was just so good. Um, yeah, I, the other one I want to see this summer is uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. That looks really good as well. I love Paul Rudd. So yeah. Uh, that's a pretty good pretty safe bet yeah well thank you for coming on my podcast always always a pleasure Sean thanks for having me back okay I'll I'll have some more history questions for you in a little while I guess a few weeks a couple months yeah whenever Um, three new teams starting up uh, next Friday Eugene and then two Mesa teams so yeah players to keep track of <laughs> maybe two we'll see yeah and i've got a pioneer league starts in a week too so oh, oh, yeah. I'll have games to go to here so you go you go to a lot of those games don't you i do is that the reds is that the reds team it's the reds there? affiliate yeah yeah that's cool so i got to see hunter green last year oh yeah he looked pretty good against south bend Truly, um, this year. Now, is that a is that a rookie league short season, or is that a short season? It's not short season a ball, is it? No, it's short season rookie league. I always okay. get confused between because I'm like it's like short it's like it's like the Northwest League, but it's rookie instead of yeah. a, and I don't know the difference. Well, I think it's just there's uh, not much difference, but. It's just a little bit more polished than the one below it. That's usually the case. And I, that, that, that's probably the best description I can think of is everything's just a little bit more polished than the one before it. Um, like mostly in rookie league, you're dealing a lot with high school kids and international and maybe some juco players. Um, the short season A-ball is mainly the guys you just drafted and sneak peek at them and then a ball is really like a junior year college type level and then high a i guess the best way to be hired is the best player 23 24 years old but yeah and then double a is really where the best prospects have been probably the last five to ten years a lot of kids just jump from AA down to the pros. There's no, there's no pit stop at AAA because 
Addison Russell wasn't there for long, neither was Schwarber or Contreras for that matter. Yeah. They were all up quick. And so that bodes well for Clifton and Mechas, I think. To make yep. that quick. So. Make the quick jump. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for coming thanks on. No, it's always a pleasure. Anytime. Now for my interview with Michael Ernst. We just had the draft this past Monday. Yep. Uh, when you're listening to this, it might be a week from Monday, but um, the Cubs drafted a shortstop from Stanford University. Um, Nick Horner. I, Nico. Nico Horner. I yep. do it mess it up. Um, with the first overall pick, and then they had a series of picks on the first day, and then of course, a bunch of picks in subsequent days. But uh, first of all, uh, what are your thoughts on the Cubs' first round pick? Um, I like it. Um, he was not somebody that I had studied before the draft, so um, it was a little off of my radar. Um, I don't uh, follow college baseball real closely. I kind of waited until a couple of weeks before the draft and uh, looked out on Baseball America and basically looked at all the people that they had rated between like 15 and 50 and uh, just started watching video on all of them and reading some of the profiles to try and get a, a sense for who they might pick. And I think at the time when I started looking a couple of weeks before, I think they had Horner at like 55 on their list. So he wasn't one of the guys that I ended up looking at. Um, right before the draft, I think they moved him up into like the forties, but I hadn't gone back through. So, uh, it wasn't until after they picked him that I really started digging into him a little bit, but, uh, uh, I like it. Um, he's a little different than, uh, you know, some of the bats that the Cubs have taken in the first round previously. He's more, he's more akin to Albert Almora. Um, in that he's more of a high contact hitter with pretty good barrel control. Um, doesn't really look to pull the ball, uh, very much. He only hit two home runs for Stanford this year. Um, however, last summer when he played out on, uh, out on the Cape, uh, in a, a, a wood bat Cape Cod league, uh, he did hit six home runs in like 40 games and just by his appearance and stuff, he does have, he, he's got pretty good size for a middle infielder and there's, there definitely doesn't seem to be a lack of strength. It's more his, uh, current swing is geared towards line drives and, uh, he's not really looking to lift the ball, um, for people that follow college uh, baseball and uh, the draft a little bit. You may have heard uh, the term Stanford swing before. Um, Stanford is known for forcing, well, maybe forcing is too strong of a word, but strongly encouraging all of their hitters to use a pretty level uh, swing path and use the opposite field a lot. And uh, Horner seems to fall into that uh, mold uh, pretty strongly. The thing that surprised me a bit um, when watching him, uh, I saw some uh, 60 speed grades on him in some of the scouting reports, and then I saw one somewhere that had him as a 70. Um, 
And as I started digging into the highlights a little bit, and that's basically all I have, there's a few scouting videos on him, um, but then uh, some uh, highlight videos and stuff. Um, I did throw a couple of, uh, there, there were a couple of uh, videos of him legging out infield singles and then uh, also going uh, from home to third on a triple. And on, in one particular infield single, I timed him at uh, under four seconds, which for a right-handed hitter is extremely quick to first base. Um, he's not quite, you know, he wouldn't be, he'd be at a level below, uh, you know, somebody like Byron Buxton, uh, you know, where they're top of the charts, 80 speed, but, um, and then also on a triple, uh, he was well above average and he even pulled up a little bit at the end of the one example I had. So I, it's at least 60 speed. It might even be 65 or 70. Um, which is, you know, certainly different than what we've seen from previous Cubs first round picks. Yeah. So, I was actually going to ask, I mean, I'm aware of it, but, um, to some of the people listening who might not be, uh, just a quick, like run through of the, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80. Scouting sure. Scale. Sure. Uh, the, uh, 20, 80 scoutings, 20 to 80 scouting scale is basically, um, the the scale that's 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 used in baseball and in some other sports as well uh it basically uh corresponds to 50 being average uh and then the next step up would be 60 which would be plus 70s plus plus and then 80 is like elite you know there's only going to be one or two guys that's that you're talking byron buxton speed or um, Stanton home run power. Uh, and then, you know, on the, the bottom end of the scale, you get 40, which would be below average 30, well below average. And then 20 is basically unplayable. So, um, just, I guess it's kind of a comp. Um, see, there really isn't anybody on the Cubs currently that I would, rate maybe even as 60 speed uh hap hap uh bryant when he really gets going uh would probably be the closest i'd probably rate both of those guys as 55 or 60 runners so i think at the very least horner would be faster than anybody on the team but he he might be more uh, along the lines of, um, you know, some of the uh, uh, center field uh, uh, pinch runner defensive guys that we've picked up in the last couple of years, like uh, Martin last year and uh, some a few guys like that. Um, he didn't really steal a ton of bases. I think he stole 15 uh, this season out of like 19 attempts. So his percentage was pretty good, um, but I'm not sure he's going to be like a 40, 50 stolen base type guy. Uh, but it certainly, uh, you know, 20 seems like uh, a legit possibility. And, you know, it would definitely, his skill set certainly seems to be a good fit for the top of a batting order. 
Um, the one thing I'm a little unsure of is plate discipline at this point. Uh, he's certainly a contact hitter. I don't know how aggressive he is. It's not really something I can uh, pick up on with the videos that I have. Um, I don't have a lot of full at bats to see how, you know, how well he's working counts and that sort of thing. But uh, at least the, from an athletic standpoint, he certainly fits the description of a top of the order bat. Uh, the other thing I don't really have much on is his defense. Um, there's just not much video on it other than a few highlights. And, um, you know, by highlights, everybody looks like they can play a position when you show their best plays. Um, but uh, some of the scouting reports have him as, a, you know, a, a pretty decent shortstop. Others think he'll eventually need to move to second base. Um, the Cubs say that they're going to try him at short. Um, they're basically going to let him go out as a shortstop and prove whether he can play it or not. But uh, he certainly seems to have enough athleticism where second base is no issue at all. And he might even be able to play some center field and stuff. So he might be a guy that can move around as a super utility guy, like, you know, like a Ben Zobrist or, you know, Ian Happ or somebody like that. Yeah. So um, I think we've done enough on mm-hmm. ego. So there you studied the rest of the draft, of course. Sure. You wrote a lot of good articles about it on Cubs Den. Mm-hmm. Um, what guys do you really like from the rest of the draft? The uh, Looking at day two, uh, or well, I shouldn't say day two. Um, well, yeah, I guess in, in this particular case, it would be day two. Um, one guy that really kind of stood out to me a little bit, uh, he was not somebody that was even ranked in Baseball America's top 500, and I, I, I don't have a lot of video on him, but uh, the Cubs' fifth-round pick is a second baseman out of Virginia named Andy Weber. Um, he's got a pretty good build. Um, he's not a small middle infielder type. Uh, he's about 6'1", um, probably close to 200 pounds. And, but the video I saw, he really moved pretty well for a big second baseman, um, made some really athletic plays. Um, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't call him a potential shortstop or anything, but second base seems no issue. He seemed to have enough arm strength where they could play him at third base if they needed and then he's a left-handed hitter, and I really liked the swing. Um, and he put up uh, some pretty good numbers at Virginia. So I'm a little surprised that you know he kind of wasn't in any draft lists that I could find. I couldn't really find many much in the way of scouting reports on him, but um, he he kind of looks like a player to me. And uh, so I'm really interested to see how he does his first couple of years. Um, one interesting guy that I have even less information on is uh, a third baseman, uh, well, corner infielder probably, uh, Luke Reynolds um, out of Southern Miss. He is a guy, I guess it would, it, it, in some ways, he'd be the equivalent of Jacob Hanneman from a couple of years ago who uh, had gone on a two year Mormon mission. Uh, in Reynolds' case, uh, he missed two years um, through some transfer issues um, where he was moving around schools and uh, had to sit out a pair of years. So he's actually 23 years old, um, and he was their 10th round pick. But 
you worry a little bit when you're picking guys that old, if, you know, they're just more physically mature than some of the competition they're going up against, but boy, did he really put up some pretty impressive numbers, uh, you know, power and patience. Um, he, uh, Led the division, he led division one baseball in walks and on base percentage. He was seventh in slugging. Southern Miss isn't playing in a, in a, you know, the top of the line conference. And then you add the age issue on top. Um, I think we'll know pretty quickly, um, you know, a 23 year old next year, he's going to be 24. So you're probably, they're probably looking at maybe starting him in high A ball next year, kind of like they did with Austin Upshaw this year. Uh, so I, he, he's either going to be a quick mover or probably somebody who flames out pretty quick and will get a pretty quick read. Um, but I'm definitely curious to see how that goes with him. Cause uh, you know, he walked well more than he struck out. Uh, and just uh, he slugged like 727 this year, just just really impressive numbers. So kind of curious on that. And again, another left handed hitter. So um, that's something that's really lacking in the Cubs system. So I think both of those guys are going to get a, a pretty interesting, you know, a lot of chances. The uh, the two prep guys that they took uh, in the second round are really interesting athletes. Um, Brennan Davis, who was their second pick, uh, 62nd overall, he's a two-sport star out of uh, uh, out of Arizona. And uh, I, I think he's committed to play at Miami, I think is who recruited him, uh, and was kind of expected to uh, play both basketball and baseball there. Uh, I have to assume I haven't seen anything firm yet, but it certainly seems like the Cubs are going to be able to sign him. I don't think that they would take him in the second round if they they didn't think it would if it, if they didn't think it would happen. But uh, I'm kind of holding out making a firm commitment on that because I'm I think there's probably still a small chance that maybe he goes he signs a you know one of those contracts that allows him to be a two sport guy and actually play basketball. Uh, at Miami and then uh, play with the Cubs during the summer. My guess is he'll be a full-time guy though, that the Cubs sign, but it's, it's a really interesting uh, athletic skill set. He's like six, four and kind of, he's still very wiry. He looks like a basketball player, kind of that long lean um, life uh, look to him. And, but I mean, he's got, plus speed, big arm. Um, as he fills out, he's expected to hit for a little more power. Uh, judging by his swing right now, he's, he kind of punches at the ball a little bit, but um, he seems to have quick hands, strong wrists. Um, so it, it's, it's a really... it's a little scary in that you see a lot of guys with that type of height and wingspan. You worry that they're going to get tied up inside. I mean, we see it with Jason Hayward at times, you know, this year, you know, he's standing like 10 feet away from home plate to try and combat that a little bit. And, you know, that's working for him. Uh, Chris Bryant, 
is a guy that at times has had issues getting tied up inside. So anytime you're, you're talking about guys with that kind of size, it's always a concern, but um, he seems to have quick enough hands from what I've seen where I, I think, I think it'll, it'll end up working out. Um, But he's certainly a risk and uh, he hasn't, you know, he's, he's not a, never been a full-time baseball player really until this year. And then he ended up getting uh, hurt a little bit. Uh, with some, uh, I think it was hamstring issues. So he actually missed most of, uh, or yeah, most of this season. So he's never really gotten a chance as a full-time baseball player. And I think the Cubs are kind of counting on, uh, you know, that uh, sort of time commitment. Once he gets into it, he's really going to take off, but you know, it might be one of those guys that spends a couple of years down in the AZL as he's getting used to it. But then might take off after that. The other guy that they took, um, his name is Cole Roederer. I, I'm not really sure on the pr- pronunciation. Uh, again, kind of a five tool guy. Um, again, was hurt part of this year. So didn't really, um, really get to show his stuff. Uh, the way that some people were expecting, but he is a guy that is expected to be able to stay in center field. He's a left-handed hitter as opposed to Davis, who's a right-handed hitter. Um, very different uh, athletic profile, though, in that he's only about six feet. Um, I've seen some comps to him for him that uh, they re- he reminds people of Andrew Benintendi when he was in high school. Um so Roeder is a little bit more filled out at this point they, uh, than Davis. He uh, act that They're both listed at the same weight, um, but Roeder is four inches shorter. Uh, and he's a guy that was actually starting to tap into power a little bit this year in games as opposed to just in batting practice. So uh, he might be a guy that's a little further along. Um, and assuming he can get healthy, uh, will... You know, he might he might stay a step ahead of Davis, but um, ultimately, you know, you're looking at the type of guys that, you know, they think they can stay in center field, but they both have plenty of arm to be able to move to right if need be. And uh, so it'll be really interesting to, to kind of watch those guys over the next five years. Um, it, you know, it's 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 different than. Uh, you know, the, the Cubs really haven't taken anybody like that above round three. Um, the closest uh, I think we've come in the past is DJ Wilson, who was also an, a two sport guy. Uh, he was a football player and a bit in a, in a baseball player. Um, but I think he was a fifth round pick or maybe a fourth round pick. So the, the, the Cubs are making a little bit of a different bet than they have in previous years. Uh, and it was something, it was an approach I kind of liked and was hoping that they would take, uh, you know, we have such a, um, the roster is, you know, so stable for the next several years because, you know, we have cost control over all these guys with the exception of, um, you know, the pitching staff a little bit, but the last two years, the Cubs have spent so many draft picks on college pitchers that uh, I feel pretty secure about their pipeline right now of being able to um, 
get some internal replacements, especially for the fringe bullpen and back of the rotation types. I don't think the Cubs will have any issue um, uh, replacing any holes that come up in that regard. And then their position players, you know, they're all under contract. And, you know, we still even have a guy like David Bodie who is playing really well in AAA looks to be a pretty sure bet to be a solid major league player. And the Cubs don't even have room for him right now. So I think it, with that situation in mind and with their hitting pipeline in the minors being pretty dry at this point, especially a little lower down in the system, uh, it, I, it gave them the, the option of uh, going for a little bit more ceiling uh, with those, with a couple of prep guys and, you know, maybe hitting a home run and getting a internal replacement for, you know, a Jason Hayward or a Kyle Schwarber or something five years down the road, if the Cubs decide they need to move on from one of them, uh, you know, as opposed to taking a more safe college bat where at that point in the draft, you're probably looking at a guy that at best is a fourth outfielder or kind of a second division starter type. Uh, so I, I, I like the risk there. Um, as far as, you know, further down in the draft, some day three guys, uh, one guy that really stands out uh, is actually a pitcher um, by the name of uh, Riley Thompson out of Louisville. Uh, he was their first pick on day three. He's a guy that you know just has plus stuff. Uh, his fastball, uh, he sits in the mid-90s, and he's touched as high as 98 or even 100 at times. Uh, his curveball flashes as a real knockout type pitch. Uh, he's supposed to have a pretty decent changeup as well, even though I haven't really seen it in any of the video I have. Um, but he's one of those guys where the stuff has always outpaced the production. And uh, he had uh, Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago when he first got to Louisville and just kind of coming back in the last year and just it it never really worked out for him and but you know you read some of the reports on him and you look at some of the video and it looks like first round stuff at times so you know it might be a situation where um you know kind of like uh, bailey clark a couple of years ago where he was kind of expected to become a first round pick and it you know, some injuries and inconsistencies cropped up and Clark ended up falling till the fifth round. Um, he had actually gotten dropped out of his college rotation. Uh, Reynolds was actually used, or I shouldn't say Reynolds, uh, Thompson was used as both a starter and a reliever this year, kind of the same way. Um, but you just kind of hope if you get him healthy, get him in a, you know, in, into a routine as a pro, maybe it clicks and you end up with a, you know, a, a real home run pick out of it. Um, so he's, he's almost kind of like an extra high ceiling prep guy, even though, you know, he's a little older as a college junior. Um, then, 
you know, every year the Cubs take a handful of high school players down near the bottom of the draft that they don't really have uh, any intention of signing. Um, it's just more of a way to kind of open lines of communication. Sometimes they uh, will end up retaking those players a couple of years later. Um, but they did take one guy um, in the 28th round by the name of Mitchell Parker. He's a left-handed pitcher out of New Mexico. Um, he's baseball America rated him as uh, I think it was the number two pitcher in baseball, uh, in, in the state. Uh, he kind of put himself on the map a couple, uh, last year in a showcase game where he struck out, I think it was 15 guys or something like that. Wow. Um, you know, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, he's mid nineties to low nineties. There's still a lot of variation. The curveball kinds of comes and goes, you know, more inconsistent, but you know, you kind of hope as he fills out a little bit and gets a little stronger, that all becomes a little more consistent. And from the sounds of it, uh, the Cubs have a decent chance at signing him. Uh, he took a pre-draft visit to Wrigley field and met with the Cubs and apparently turned down a bunch of other teams. Um, and uh, his uh, uh, college coach, well, I guess potential future college coach at uh, University of Tennessee where he's committed uh, has, has come out and said that uh, the Cubs have made him a pretty decent offer and he is considering it. So that would be a kind of nice, you know, maybe a bit of a high up, higher upside play um, that uh, they've been able to uh, get out of the, the back end of the draft, which is always a, a plus. So, yeah. Well, actually that brings me to, um, I, I asked them, the other guy had was going to have on is uh, Todd Johnson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, asked him this question. So I'll ask you this question. If you could draft anyone, you were like, you had the, you were the first pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. What guy would you have drafted this year? Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, I didn't, I didn't really study the guys that were, um, expected to go at the very top of the draft just because I knew the Cubs really didn't have a chance at any of them. But just kind of first impressions that I got off of the little bit I've seen of all of them. You know, I really kind of like Nick Madrigal. He, he's small, but boy, he can hit. Um, you know, there's definitely a little bit of uh, Altuve in there. Um, and then uh, 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 Joey Bart, uh, the, the guy the Giants took with the second pick. Uh, he was, you know, a power hitting catcher, you know, with a pretty good hit tool, pretty strong arm. He looks like a hell of a player too. Uh, so I, I think I'd probably lean towards one of those two. I'm not big on taking pitchers that high. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a more play it safe if there's a good college bat. Uh, type and so uh, it seems to be a pretty good consensus. A little different players, obviously, uh, between Madrigal and him, but uh, uh, I think either one of those guys would have been, a, a, you know, a great pick. Yeah. Well, since uh, I've got you on here, I'll ask you some 
minor league questions about the Cubs. Sure. Uh, who you, one pitcher you really like so far this minor league season and one hitter you really like? Uh, are you looking for like breakouts or are you looking for like who I actually think is the best in each? Uh, how about the best? Best. Okay. Well, I still would say that the best pitcher in the Cubs system, uh, at least as a, in a balance between upside and uh, probability is Edward Alzale. Um, I know he's, he's been hurt off and on this year uh, with a couple of different issues, but uh, in the games where he has pitched, uh, he's shown me some progress with his changeup, which is really the one thing that was mostly holding him back. Uh, in my view, uh, he was pretty dominant last year, just using his fastball and his, and his uh, breaking ball. And he never, he, he was never really forced into needing that change up and he would only throw it a few times a game and never in, you know, a, a, a account where, uh, you know, he, it was always when he was ahead in the count or, you know, he, he'd never really throw it when he needed a good pitch. And this year they're, they're kind of force feeding it with him. And uh, he's flashed some pretty good ones. Um, when he's had issues this year, it's actually been with his fastball. He uh, has been leaving. He had a few starts where he was leaving it uh, up in the zone way too much. He was having trouble getting it down at hitter's knees. Um, but he's still uh, the, the cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he's still sitting 93, 94 he touches 97 whenever he needs it. Um, and, uh, you know, he holds his velocity well throughout starts. It's got some pretty good life on it. And then his breaking ball is uh, kind of a one to, to seven. It's got a little bit of sweep to it along with uh, some good depth. And it works against both lefties and righties, which is, uh, you know, always a good sign. So I don't think he's going to have real platoon issues, especially once he gets the changeup worked out. So I think, and on top of all that, you know, it's obviously not something that I have great access to, but everything you hear from Cubs personnel and even from some other scouts and stuff is really intelligent kid, really instinctual, extremely hard worker, very analytical and you know, just has the mindset that you want to see out of a starting pitcher. He's always trying to improve. Um, you know, he's always game planning. So of anybody, if the Cubs are going to get kind of a middle of the rotation starter, he's going to be the guy, I think, uh, assuming he can stay healthy. Uh, for Pitter, for batters, uh, I think it's still a toss-up between Aramis Ottoman and... Uh, Miguel Amaya. Amaya has certainly had the better season so far this year. Uh, he's really starting to hit for some power in games as opposed to just in batting practice. Uh, he's doing a little bit better job of uh, both going the other way and turning on pitches when he gets the chance. Um, but I, his hit tool isn't quite as good as Ataman. Uh, and Ataman is, they're both 19, um, but Amaya is down in low A. Ataman is getting 
uh, challenged in high A this year, starting to come around a little bit. His average is still only around 230. Um, but uh, I think one of the other, uh, you know, I mentioned Todd. Uh, I think I saw a stat from one of the other uh, Cubs prospect guys on Twitter this morning where um, Ottoman hasn't actually faced a pitcher younger than him this year. He's, he's still one of the younger guys in the Carolina League. He's really holding his own and showing some pretty decent plate discipline. And I just think he probably ends up as, you know, probably a 270 hitter in the majors, uh, which, you know, isn't going to knock your socks off because he's probably only going to hit maybe 12 home runs, 10, 12 home runs, something like that. So he's not really an impact bat so much as he's going to be a solid hitter, can play a premium position at shortstop. And it's kind of the same, same way with Amaya. He's going to play a, a, a strong, uh, he's going to do a good job behind the plate. Um, not real sure on his game calling yet. You know, as a 19 year old, I haven't heard any concerns about it, but, uh, he, uh, uh, has a, a pretty strong arm. He's pretty quick back there. Still working on some consistency issues, but um, you know, for 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 19 years old, he's pretty pretty far advanced for a defensive player and playing a premium position like that. The bat doesn't need to be great. Um, I think he's probably going to top out as maybe a 250, 260 hitter in the majors. Um, but there's a little bit more power. There's probably 15, maybe 20 home run power there. Um, so both of those guys, you know, they're, they're maybe not, they're not going to be hitting third or fourth in your batting order. They're probably going to be, um, you know, six, seven, eight hitters. Ottoman, I guess, has maybe a little bit of a chance to be a top of the order guy, depending on what you're looking at, you know, or at least maybe against right-handed hitters since he is a left-handed uh, a left-handed bat. So, you know, maybe type of guy like Almora where, um, you know, certain situations and certain matchups, you, you don't mind hitting him in the leadoff spot sort of thing. So uh, I think those are probably the two best uh, right now. Uh, they do have a few high upside guys. Um, Nelson Velazquez, uh, who had a big AZL season last year. Uh, he's got big power, kind of a five-tool guy, probably the best combo of five tools that they got right now, um, but striking out a lot. He struck out a lot last year. He's striking, striking out a lot this year. Um, if he can get that under control, uh, you know, he's a guy that could hit 25 homers and steal 25 bases sort of thing. So, um, but he's, he's a lot more raw. Uh, he's also 19, but uh, a lot more raw than the other two. So, yeah. Um, so then a guy that a lot of people were talking about in spring training and was getting a lot of interest was um, Dylan Maples. Mm-hmm. And he didn't start like super great. No, he, play, he kind of, he's yeah, kind he, of been coming on of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I've kind of been saying it since kind of like, May of last year, um, when he first started, you know, really dialing in that slider, uh, the only thing that can stop Dylan Maples at this point is Dylan Maples. Um, if he throws strikes, uh, 
he's going to be fine. Uh, it, it, it is a, a Carlos Marmol type of um, tool set. I mean, uh, when Marmol first came up, he was 95, 96 with obviously that wipeout slider. Um, Maples' slider is pretty close. It's a little harder, so there isn't quite the depth um, that Marmol had at his peak. Um, but it's pretty darn close. It's definitely the closest thing to that type of pitch that the Cubs have had since Marmol. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Maples throws 98 pretty consistently with a lot of sync. Um, it's a moving 98. But, you know, in this day and age where there's a lot of guys that throw 98, regardless of how much it moves, if you throw it in the middle of the plate or you throw it a foot off of the plate, guys are either going to lay off of it or they're going to hit it hard. And Maple's issue has been either getting too much plate or not enough plate. And, but when he's right, oh boy. I mean, I think in the last five games or something like that, he's striking out like 60% of the batters he faces And it's because he hasn't walked anybody. He's throwing quality strikes and nobody can hit him. So, you know, but he's a guy that's 26 years old. I think he's either about to turn 26 or he already turned 26. Um, So at this point, you know, is there a great chance that he's going to really turn a corner and consistently throw strikes? I don't know. I mean, CJ Edwards, it's kind of taken, a few years and he's finally seems to have turned a corner now. And I think he's 27, 28. So it could certainly still happen with maples, but uh, that would, that, that's kind of the, the career trajectory that you hope for with maples. It's, it's kind of the CJ Edwards path of let's get him in, you know, the, the sixth, seventh inning. And if he's throwing strikes, you can leave him in there for an inning or two and he's going to wipe out the competition. If he starts throwing balls, you yank him out of there and bring somebody else in. And then you slowly work him into later and later in the game as he as uh, throughout his career, as he uh, earns a little bit more trust. So um, to me, that's, that's kind of what you're hoping for with Mabel is a few years from now. He's what CJ Edwards is now. Yeah. And they've had actually, because of some pretty good success with uh, this uh, caravan of pitchers. They've been, Call yeah, yeah. I talked about it uh, over the winter. Um, they really made a commitment to overhaul the type of pitcher that they were um, that they were targeting, both in the majors and then the depth in the in the in their system at AAA that they could call upon. I mean, we saw it at the end of last year. It was just there was too many guys where it was kind of the Dylan Maples profile of throwing hard, throwing nasty stuff, but you couldn't count on them to throw strikes. And uh, um, when that's your only options, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to remain consistent. And, uh, you know, they went out, they grabbed, you know, they re-signed Denson. They went out and they picked up guys like Brandon Morrow, who obviously has been, you know, a strike thrower, 
this year, you know, he really turned that corner last year. C checks the same way. He's been a really consistent strike thrower throughout his career. He's actually taken a step back this year. He's walked way more guys than he usually does. But, um, and then at the triple a level, uh, you know, last year you had guys like, you know, you still had maples, but you had, um, you know, several other guys like Pierce Johnson, um, and Felix Pena, guys like that where you'd bring them in and yeah, they could throw 95 and a good breaking ball and they might strike out the side, but they might walk three guys. And that was the only options that they had to bring up. And it, it really left them in a bind. And this year, you know, they went out, they got Luke Farrell, they got uh, Rosario, which was, you know, that that's really unusual to be able to get a 23 year old uh, left-handed pitcher off of waivers um teams usually give those guys a few more opportunities so i'm not really sure what the twins were thinking um if they were just really in a roster crunch or what but uh, that was that was a really strange move and uh same thing with mazzoni uh he doesn't walk anybody at triple a he walks a few more guys in the majors uh, just because his stuff isn't real great and uh, he needs to throw a few more pitches in the majors and work a little bit more on the edges. Um, he's a guy that's, it's, it's more of average stuff. And so he's got to be a little more careful, but um, yeah, it's, it's certainly worked out well so far. I think it was a good bet. I really like the way that the Cubs did that. And then, you know, they left open the option of still bringing in a guy like Maples. If, if, if and when, you know, he deserves it. So, you know, they, they have both options now. And I think that's the proper way of going about it. You can blow guys away with CJ Edwards and Dylan Maples, or you can come in and just, you know, have somebody that you feel pretty confident that they're going to throw strikes. And I think that's, the, that's the right way to do it. Yep. Um, then I'll get out of here on one more. So, you know, your beat on Cubs Dan is, Usually the minor league stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I want to ask you a question about the major league level. Sure. How do you um, feel about how the Cubs are doing? They're in a role right now. What are yeah. your thoughts on the current state of the Cubs? Uh, as with pretty much anything in baseball, they're probably not as good as when they're at their best, and they're not nearly as bad as when they're at their worst. Um, I, you know, obviously they're not going to continue. What are they? They've won like seven straight games right now, or something like that. That so, isn't going to. Yeah, that, that isn't going to continue. Obviously, but you know, I it, at our in our uh, predictions at the beginning of the year, I said this was a hundred win team. I believe it's a hundred win team. Nothing I've seen so far changes my view on that you know if they end up only winning 95 games eh, you know whatever but it, it to me it's the best team in the nl central I, I think it's actually the best team in the national league um there's a couple of teams in the al where i think there's a very good argument that they might be better than the cubs but um i do think it's the class of the national league and uh I didn't panic in April. I didn't panic in, in May and I'm certainly not going to gloat now, but, um, yeah, it, I, I really don't worry about the Cubs on a, on a day-to-day basis. It's just, it, by the end of the year, it's going to work out for them. Uh, they're, 
they're just better than the Cardinals or the um, Brewers right now. They have more depth and more ways to beat teams. So I just, I, it, it really doesn't concern me. Uh, even if somehow, you know, maybe the Brewers go out and they acquire a couple of pitchers and, and uh, you know, get on a nice run. I, I still think that means that the Brewers are going to have to win 95 to 100 games to win the division. The Cubs will still end up with a wild card. The, the Cubs are making the playoffs, barring catastrophic injury, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's a good place to end it on. And I will probably have you back at the end of the year to sure. get some updates on the minor league guys, see how they're developing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for coming on. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Couple notes. Remember, you can follow me at STH85 on Twitter. Uh, you can follow um, Todd at Todd on Twitter. Cub Central 08 is a formal name, but if you look up Todd, you should be able to find him. And Michael Ernst is MJ Ernst on Twitter. And um, if you want to email the, the podcast, you can. Holy cow pod at Gmail. You want any questions, ask me. Or you can tweet me at STH85 on Twitter. I will also answer those tweets if you send them. And uh, remember to like and subscribe to me on um, iTunes. I really would appreciate it if you do download my podcast on iTunes to give me a rating and a review. So I know people are listening. A five-star rating would be nice, but any rating you want to give me and any kind of review would be great. So that's on iTunes, Holy Cow Pod. You search it, you should be able to find it. And thank you for listening. We should have another show soon.